Welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. Here on the podcast, we are excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. My name is Stacey Schubitz, and I'm here with my colleague, Melanie Meehan. Let's work together to inspire and empower students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. In recent years, I've started consuming information in various ways. I listen to podcasts while taking long walks, shuttling my kids around town, and preparing dinner at night. If you're consuming podcasts like I am, chances are you've thought about starting a podcast yourself. But starting a podcast is more than buying the right mic and headphones. It's about ensuring you have a host that provides you with guides to help you find your footing since starting a podcast is a steep learning curve. Podcasting isn't hard if you have the right partners. After looking at multiple podcast hosts, we decided to use Buzzsprout and we're thrilled that we did. We've been impressed with the level of customer service we've received from the help desk who provides delightfully quick replies during weekday business hours and is refreshingly responsive at all other times. The Buzzsprout team is passionate about helping us succeed at podcasting. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. This makes it easy to get up and running quickly. With Buzzsprout, you'll get a podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Start your own podcast with Buzzsprout and get a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan. Please follow the link in the show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you and helps support this show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. And now on to today's podcast, this is Melanie, and I am so excited because we are talking about grammar, one of my favorite topics. She is giddy with excitement, and I mean, <laughs> if you could see her face, you would be too. So it's all good. I really am kind of known as the grammar nerd, and I do want to just get right into it. I think it's important to say ahead of time that there's a distinction between grammar as a set of rules and grammar as a craft move. And I, I want to make sure that we make that distinction as we launch this conversation. Right. We are going to be talking about it as a craft move, but we are going to start off with the overarching principles. I mean, that sounds really boring, but we're not going to make it boring. Um, <laughs> we're going to make it fun and exciting. But seriously, we're going to start off with some of the bigger topics and then get into the craft move stuff. And bring on the joy, right? Like bring mm -hmm. on the games and the play and the fun that can surround grammar that I don't know that everyone thinks about. So in any case, I, I do want to just establish that I, I subscribe to a definition when it comes to grammar. And that is that it's a system of rules that allow writers to structure sentences. And that being said, you can break those rules in order to create some really cool craft moves that you can do as powerful writers and kids can appreciate. Right. And I think that most people will say you have to know the rules before you break them. I tend to agree, but sometimes we can break rules without realizing it. And 
it's a happy accident. We can learn from that as well. I think one of the cool things that some kids do is they they break rules unintentionally mm-hmm. in order to create voice in their writing. And one of the most fun things that I do is point it out to them. Like, look what you did. You just wrote like blankety blank because you created sentence fragments and single word sentences. And that's what writers do. Right. And just like when we want to name for kids what they are doing well in a conference, and usually that's as a compliment, and we want to name it because we want it to be replicable. It's the same thing when they are accidentally having this um, grammar discovery, or I don't know what you want to call it, but we want to name it for them. So that way, they know what it's called and can do it again. Yeah, like name it, appreciate it, notice it, whatever, and then duplicate it with intention. So Mm -hmm. yes. I also want to just give a shout out to Shauna Coppola because, and and I, I don't have exactly the podcast or the webinar where she said it, but I heard her make a distinction between what this common core standards or language standards or whatever standards you subscribe to call standard English as standardized English. And one, those are very different terms. And I would just Mm -hmm. say that I'd prefer to go with standardized English because it was, decisions were made by people, Mm -hmm. right? And there are a lot of different types of language and, and ways that people talk that I want to make sure are honored in any kind of writing they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up. And let's talk about the importance of language for a grammar community. And I want to start off with a quote from a book called Grammar Matters. It is by Lynn Dorfman and the late Diane Dougherty. Um, And they said, studying grammar in isolation does not make someone a lover of words or a better speaker and writer. Neither will isolated grammar lessons and workbook pages create confidence and proficiency in grammar and mechanics. And I think back to my middle school years, which like most people's middle school years were filled with joy. No. Uh, (laughs) So I I have very distinct memories of the Warner's high school book or junior high book. Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't burn books, but I, I, it's definitely lining the, uh, would never burn my Warner's. Oh, see, I did not have a good experience with it, but this is the thing. I loved to write already. I didn't mind diagramming sentences, but I did not get any joy from that book. And it got tossed at some point in my life. Um, because I don't think that it really helped me um, to become a better writer. So that would go along with research. Like mm-hmm. the research yeah. does not support that kids learn grammar or people learn grammar by diagramming sentences. I think that that's a really important thing. And one of the reasons that I love, love, love Lennon, um, Diane's quote is that I think it frees teachers to not hold on to the idea of mastery. 
Mm -hmm. And and I think when I, when I have given teachers a series of grammar lessons, I get a lot of feedback from them that kids don't know and understand it. Like Mm -hmm. that's not a, the one lesson is not going to teach them parts of speech. No, but it will expose them. And that's what matters. One lesson is not going to teach them sentence structure. They're not going to understand dependent clauses and independent clauses from one lesson. And uh, yes, you're right. Like, and to your point about exposure and worksheets and all of that, it's not. What it does is it gives them language and it gives the community language to talk about grammar. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what kids need a lot more so that it becomes a whole another way that that the community can talk about both reading and writing. It's it's huge. And if I may use a sports analogy, Miss Sporty That's Grammar over thing. there. Yeah. yeah. I know, but you know, I was thinking about swimming and my daughter swims and she's on swim team in the summers. And I remember that her swim teacher in the summer of 2021 wanted to teach her butterfly. And I was like, but she doesn't have the fundamentals of like the side breathing for front crawl. And she's like, yeah, but I just need her body to get an idea of how it should move through the water when she's doing the fly. Like it's a very distinct kick. And I mean, look, I'm a swimmer. Like I know this as well. And I was like, okay, um, have at it. And she didn't get good that summer. And you know what? Despite having been on swim team all of last summer, she still wasn't good at it. But she got better because over time her exposure grew. So there's my sports analogy for you. And how did I do? It makes sense to me. Yeah. See, of course, I spoke your language. You know, and going back to the idea of language, there it is. I think that as you teach grammar and create charts in the room of language that is around grammar, whether it's parts of speech, whether it's parts of sentences, whether it's subjects and predicates, whatever it is you are teaching and noticing, then kids start to have the terms to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And you can't really have those conversations unless you have those terms. So I think giving giving those terms and then challenging kids to think about a, a sentence in a book that you just came across where a noun was used as an adjective mm-hmm. or a noun was used as a verb or somebody did something using it both ways. Like those are cool conversations to have. And that builds kids' understandings of parts of speech way more than any kind of a worksheet or fill in the blank is going to do because the truth of the matter is, is that ball can, can serve different purposes depending Mm -hmm. on how it's used. Absolutely. So, you know, ball just came to mind because I know my husband's watching basketball in the other room, but. And he's having a ball doing it. He's having a ball doing it and they're balling and he's Mm -hmm. watching a basketball game in which case basketball is an adjective. Go explain that to kids when they're bouncing a basketball, when it's clearly a noun. It's a lot. So let's get into how we weave grammar instruction into units that we're teaching and writing. 
Right. So I think that that's part of the distinction between grammar as a set of rules and thinking about subject and verbs matching and thinking about pronouns and antecedents matching and thinking more about grammar as a craft move. Mm -hmm. So if I think, okay, there are certain ways that narrative writers make their point or use repetition or use fragments or use long sentences and then short sentences, then I have some really powerful inroads for grammar as a craft move. Yeah. When I wrote the book, Craft Moves, aptly named, I was really thinking about punctuation and the way that it creates voice. And I didn't want to teach a whole bunch of subject verb lessons, but I really want kids to learn how to write with precise nouns and to write with vivid verbs and to understand that those are really the engines of sentences. I think that's Georgia Heard who said that, Um, but they are the engines of sentences. It's not a ton of adverbs and adjectives. It's really being purposeful with those things. And then how do we use punctuation, be it dashes or ellipses or semicolons or commas and lists. I mean, like, how do we use these in purposeful ways? How do authors do it? And how can we spy on what authors do? Take some learning from the examples that we're noticing and then try that out ourselves as writers. I have never met a kid who, a second grader, who doesn't like a dot, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Like, dot, dot, dot. You know, you throw that in and they're excited. I think that saying to students, especially young ones, that these little marks on the paper control readers and Mm -hmm. you have the power of doing it is a huge thing to say to kids because, again, who doesn't want that power? Like, you get to tell a reader how to raise their voice or slow down or speed up or do whatever it is that dot, 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 you want readers to do. And it's so exciting. And I mean, my son is in kindergarten and he is really just learning to read this year. And we were reading a book together earlier today. And one of the words was in all caps. And he just knew to make his voice larger. And it's incredible. I mean, there are these messages that are communicated, and it's very possible his teacher has taught this to them. Um, But there are messages that are communicated through all of these things. And that is a very powerful tool that we can hold in our hands. Well, and it also leverages the reciprocity of reading and writing, Mm -hmm. right? It's like your son knew to read it that way with capital letters because he recognizes those capital letters as also a writer's craft move. And that is, I mean, that's appreciation of the writing craft and close reading in a big, big way. Absolutely. Why does grammar matter? Like in this day and age, when we've got AI popping up left and right, why does grammar matter? I mean, I know why it matters, but, you know, grammar nerd you that you are, why does it matter? I think it's how you communicate to, to young writers and to teachers who are kind of figuring it out why it matters. And certainly one of the things that you do with grammar as a writer is you create voice. 
and and you create rhythm with it, which helps empower your writer. So it it can add tension to stories, just like that. <laughs> right? It can add um, that repetition, and and I would argue that grammar or that repetition is is a grammar craft move. If you are writing a speech or writing some kind of an opinion piece and you are repeating a phrase over and over again with maybe some nuances, maybe this, maybe it's just a little shorter, maybe it's a little bit longer, but that is a craft move that creates memorability in an opinion piece. And that's a big deal. And I will just, say something because my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. And if anyone knows my mom, Um, she's a great editor, but like on occasion, she'll read my writing and there is repetition in it, like very purposefully inserted repetition. I'm very intentional about how I'm doing it. I'm setting it up in a very similar way. And she'll be like, well, you've just repeated yourself three times. And I'm like, wait a second, you read a ton. Like, what do you mean? Like, you you don't know that this is a craft move that writers employ? I mean, this woman reads a, a lot of books. She doesn't read like a writer. So she is reading and consuming as a reader. Love you, mom. Um, but she is she is not reading like a writer. And I think when there is that relationship and that reciprocity that you know, readers are writers and writers are readers, then I think that we can appreciate just how powerful a tool grammar can be to writers. I have never thought about saying to kids, have a relationship with your words. And Mm -hmm. you just made me think about that. And I think that to just say grammar gives writers a relationship with words is a hugely wonderful statement. And I want to hold on to that. Well, then we can thank my mom for that. (laughs) So let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back. I've been wishing for an extra couple of hours in the day for at least a month since I've been unable to find enough uninterrupted time to work on a book proposal. I was unwilling to give up my nightly reading time, so I began thinking of reclaiming time from other parts of my day. I had heard of an app called OneSec, which helps people balance their social media usage. OneSec encourages users to pause and take a deep breath before opening distracting phone apps. I set up the app to cue me to take a three-second break and then ask if I'd like to continue to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter or if I want to close whatever social media app I was attempting to open. There are many customization options and boosters for the interventions available. For instance, I set up intention tracking and integrated the OneSec app with Structured, the daily planner app I use. OneSec has been proven in a scientific study with the Max Planck Institute to drop app usage by an average of 57%. After just one week of using OneSec, my social media usage was cut by more than 50%. After using OneSec for two weeks, I looked at my stats on the app and learned that I saved over four hours. And guess what? Thanks to OneSec, I made significant progress on the book proposal, which I hope to submit in the next few weeks. 
to reduce the amount of mindless scrolling you do so you can reclaim a large chunk of your waking hours, download the OneSec app today. Please follow the link in the show notes. This lets OneSec know that we sent you and helps support this podcast. OneSec, an effective way to make distracting apps less appealing. So now that we've established that grammar is a relationship with words, we have to dig into ways to teach it. So getting back to that whole Warner's thing and the diagramming of sentences, um, in Everyday Editing, Jeff Anderson talks about traditions of why we do things the way that we've learned them. And this could be, be it sentence diagramming or studying parts of speech in a rote way. And it makes me sing, think of that song, which I will not sing for anyone, Tradition from Fiddler Tradition on the Roof. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Melanie. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just because it's the way that something has always been done doesn't mean that it's the way to continue doing it. So if you were taught with daily oral language that doesn't mean you need to do that as well. Like you do not need to get up there and show students, please don't, the wrong way of doing things as a means of teaching it because you know that that's how you learned it. That doesn't make it good. So as you and many other people like to say, when we know better, we do better. Let's talk about ways to do better. Yeah. So honestly, I had that conversation just today and I have it all the time. And I do want to just underscore and highlight the importance of showing students right, like showing them right and right and right. And yes, I do know that kids on on big summative assessments that matter get shown wrong. Mm-hmm. And and I will address that. But while kids are in a learning phase, I think it is crucial that they see right over and over and over again when they are learning concepts of grammar. It takes me back to a workshop that Mary Aaronworth gave at Teachers College several years ago where she talked about the stages of language acquisition. And I think Mm -hmm. it's worth knowing and thinking about that as people learn the language or probably any language, I, I don't know how kids learn other languages, but certainly... English language learners learning English and children learning how to speak and write, you go through an approximation phase before you go through a mastery phase. Mm-hmm. But now there's also what she dubbed an, a slippage phase. And I think that it's really worth knowing and thinking about that because kids see through social media and on their phones so many different versions of, I'll use, you know, the crowd favorite, lowercase i, Mm -hmm. their social media, right? Like teachers are driven crazy by lowercase i. I get it. But every text kids see, lowercase i. And so their brain registers it's confusing, not which is right. Mm -hmm. Same thing with you. Same, you know, little, you know, you instead of Y-O-U. Just not writing with any punctuation at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that like makes me totally bonkers, but like, 
that's, but that's what kids are don't, seeing. Right. That's right. And that's the thing is like, I think that while it might drive me bonkers, I understand that I am not the normal person who punctuates text messages because I've heard that that's a thing in and of itself that, you know, it's too formal and, you know, there are different schools of thought about it, but like, I think we have to really remember what generation is coming up and what they're seeing. And then we can work with that. And I think that idea of slippage is really important. And that's a term that's totally new to me, but it makes perfect sense that, I mean, you're going to have those slips and falls in order to figure it out along the way. Right. And you want to just, again, show kids over and over and over again, right, so that their brain learns right. And then Mm -hmm. when they're on the high stakes test, they can recognize right because they are like, what are they doing? Of course, that apostrophe doesn't Mm -hmm. go there. It's 100% supposed to go here. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that if we push teachers to that mindset. That's a great mindset to be in. And I think that that is mostly the premise that a lot of Jeff Anderson's work in Patterns of Power is based on. And it's a it's a phenomenal way to think about sentences. So we could get into that. There's so much right about what is showcased in Patterns of Power. And, you know, I've only worked with the one the grades one through five book. Um, I'm not going to profess to have worked with any other part of it. But I, I just think that by studying correct sentences, and then another model that's modeled off of the, the sentence from the published text, we're really like building this power in kids, that they are like seeing it correctly, and then they are writing it and trying it out correctly and modeling their own sentences off of the correct model. And the idea of correctness is always at the forefront of the patterns of power work. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we think about patterns of power, and I do want to just like say this is kind of like how it's structured. For me, it's structured is reminiscent of Bloom's taxonomy, right? It's noticing something, naming it, and then working to create it. Mm-hmm. And so what is done very intentionally is sentences are brought to students' attention. Mm-hmm. So either sentences from a book that they're reading, and again, talk about that reciprocity between reading and writing. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, that was a great sentence. Let's get that one on the board and notice and name what that author did in it. Well, that's the way, I mean, for anyone who's not familiar with it, day one is basically an invitation to notice. Mm-hmm. That is what you're doing. And I mean, the kids are coming up with some really, you know, basic noticings and sometimes some fairly sophisticated ones. Mm-hmm. And then and then getting into that inquiry of like, what is the rule maybe behind sentences that start mm-hmm. with when, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, <laughs> There's usually a comma. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> um, I have done it even not taking sentences from a book, but creating sentences that look like the ones of the rule that I want kids to learn. So if I'm looking at the standards and knowing that I want second graders to understand that there are commas when you're doing a list in a sentence, I might write on the board, I like bacon, eggs, and toast for breakfast. 
mm-hmm. putting my commas in. And then I ask them to model, to, actually, I'll first ask them to notice what's going on in my sentence and name those commas and name the period at the end, and then ask them to create a sentence that's like it. And there's a lot of fun in doing that, I've got to tell you. Just as an aside, are you an Oxford comma lover or not? 100% Oxford comma. Yeah, I think that we all kind of like agreed on that at two writing teachers several years ago. And um, there are some really funny examples out there, some of which are appropriate for kids and some that aren't just about teaching that. So that's just as an aside. Um, there's a lot of humorous stuff for faculty meetings. If you're looking for just a fun way to open up and get people laughing about grammar, do a whole thing on the Oxford comma and like... Yeah, or the just real- the importance of commas, mm-hmm. right? There's True. All kinds of things about commas and their importance and how they change meaning. Yep. Sorry, I wanted to go back for something, uh, back to something. You said you mentioned language standards, and I just want to um, go back and highlight and underline that for anyone um, who just kind of maybe driving in their car. I, I think that it's really important to know those standards. And I know you are a huge believer and proponent in this, Melanie, but like to really know what is expected at each grade level so that we're not um, making mini lessons that are too developmentally advanced for kids. And that we're holding kids accountable for what they should have learned in past years. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know it, doing some small group work around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless the whole class doesn't know it, and that's a whole other thing. But like, if there's a small group of students who's just, you know, behind on some basic grammatical skills, then that's a great course of study to to work on, you know, over time, just to catch kids up in a small group. Right. And again, just, you know, tapping into information that was done. One of the things, and I am happy to share more about this, but one of the things that we did in our district before the pandemic and we've reinstated it and are I'm so happy that this is going on again is that students start grammar notebooks in third grade and those grammar notebooks stay with them although we we have a K6 school model so those grammar notebooks stay with them as they go up through the grades Mm-hmm. And they have them as their own personal reference. They have their composition book, or now some of the teachers have made digital ones. So their digital grammar notebooks stay with them in Google Drive and get added to as they advance through the grades. But it's kind of their reference guide, and it's the teacher's proof to the kids like, oh, yes, you did learn what nouns were in second grade. Look at that. Or in that third is- grade. That is so much more powerful than being like, I know you learned that. I mean, we've all said that, okay? I know you must have learned this somewhere, or I know that teacher must have done that. Okay, Um, well, hey, I'm pretty sure you learned it. Can you go back and look in your grammar book? Just double check, because if you didn't, I can teach it. And when they find it, oh, you did, let's review it now. That's your writing. Look at Mm -hmm. that. You Mm -hmm. did that. Like. What does that mean? And right, it just it holds them accountable, the students accountable a little bit more for holding on to something that really does matter and builds. Mm-hmm. And and I you know, I just I worry that kids get to high school and they snow their high school English teachers that they've never heard of a verb before. I'm like, oh yes, they have. <laughs> right. And I think we have to also um realize that 
you know, sometimes kids just want to say, I didn't learn this because they don't really care. And also sometimes they really don't care because they haven't been shown the reason to care about it. You know, if it's been a lot of incorrect stuff and boring grammar instruction, then really, why should they care? Well, that gets back to the whole idea that readers are writers and writers are readers. And the point of it is, is to have a powerful impact on your reader Mm -hmm. by using that incredible word or using that great punctuation that controls them. So that gets back to that whole idea. But, you know, again, some kids understand that better. And I do think that there is huge value for many kids in giving them sentence practice and isolating skills within a single sentence and asking kids to create their own sentences that model after those skills is a powerful thing to do. And you can learn about kids and you can add humor and fun to it. Mm -hmm. And you can have them practicing some really important skills and developing their understanding of sentence structure. Yep. And I think um, we should talk about fun ways to do this. Um, And I want to talk about inquiry and inquiry can be fun. And I want to talk about games and we know games are fun, but let's go with inquiry first. Like who doesn't love solving a great mystery? Who doesn't love figuring out why somebody did something? And one of my favorite things to do that's an inquiry based grammar lesson is to do a punctuation inquiry. Why do you think the writer did that? What could their reason be? And just getting kids to hypothesize. I mean, we can't get inside of an author's head. We don't know why they did something. But, you know, if an author has a certain style and the students have read several books by that author, they can start to develop theories about why a writer writes in a particular way. Mm -hmm. Which is so exciting. Like, Oh, that's the kind of writer who varies their sentences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And oh, that's the kind of writer that just uses really simple sentences over and over again. And I'm thinking about Patricia McLaughlin. I'm always in awe of how her sentences are so simple, but so impactful. Mm-hmm. Like, I find myself reading it and being like, how does she do that? <laughs> <laughs> um you know, that's the type of sent. That's the type of writer who varies how she starts sentences. Mm-hmm. Like when you get kids noticing that, that's a that's that's a huge deal and a huge amount of appreciation and a huge awareness of grammar. Absolutely. And they have to have the language in order to be able to talk about that and have those discussions. So I would just go back to that idea of create those language charts or create those grammar notebooks or create some kind of a reference tool so that language isn't limiting what they can, what they can have conversations about. Absolutely. I think that that shared language is really important. And I just want to um, say one thing as about shared language and, you know, there is no shame to looking something up if you don't know it. Okay, there are holes in everyone's educational background in terms of what they have um, learned. 
people don't all know what an antecedent is. They may not know what a plural possessive is. There are resources out there. Um, I know in the back of Grammar Matters, there's like a full glossary. I remember when I reviewed it, I was like, oh my God, I don't know a lot of these things. Um, And, you know, it's great to have Lynn as a personal friend who can teach me, but not everyone has a Lynn they can call up. Grammar Girl. Do you know Grammar Girl, Melanie? Mm Mm-hmm. I love Grammar Girl. I mean, what a great resource. Grammarly is another great resource. If you don't know what something is and you want to be able to explain it to your students and get it yourself so that you're not just like shooting darts and hoping that something sticks, like just take a little bit of time and just familiarize yourself with it. Get really comfortable with it. And there is no shame in like getting help, asking a colleague, um, consulting another resource that's going to really make it um, understandable. Yeah, for sure. I want to get back to the games and the fun. Yeah, let's get back to Maybe games a and fun. couple of your favorite games and fun ways of getting kids to under, understand, appreciate, know grammar. Well, I'm not going to give you specifics. I'm going to give you a book recommendation, which I have a feeling you know. It's called Getting Grammar, 150 New Ways to Teach an Old Subject by Donna Hooker Topping and Sandra Josephs Hoffman. And it is such a fantastic book that has lots of different ways to teach grammar to students. And it makes it fun. It makes it playful. And there is a guide in the book early on. I've got to find it real quick. Bear with me. So while she's doing that, I will just say one of the most fun ways that I've gotten kids to understand words and build their awareness is challenging them to start with a, say, five-word sentence and then ask them to make that five-word sentence a seven-word sentence. And they learn very quickly that that is done by adjectives and adverbs. Mm-hmm. And then make that seven-word sentence into like a 15-word sentence. hmm I recommend prepositions. Yep. And then make that 15-word sentence into a 25-word sentence. And I'm, and then they're like, we got to use conjunctions. I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> but again, I, I talk about building awareness and adding a little bit of fun and competition. It's playful. It's mm-hmm. playful. They love it. And they start to, as soon as they realize that they can start adding those specific grammatical structures and words, they get really good at it fast. They do. They do. So I found the page. It was like two pages off from where I was. But um, they offer different um, icons in the book that code each one of the activities. So there are some that involve talk. There are some that obviously involve writing. Um, There are some that are kinesthetic. So kids are moving. There are game-like formats. There's musical formats art formats and dramatic formats. And there are 150 ideas in here. And I mean, I still have games, um, sticky noted, that's not a word. But while we're talking about grammar, I'm like, that's not right. But there are things in here that I have that I mean, from years ago, are things that were favorites of my students, Um, be it preposition, preposition, I remember very, um, very vividly and pick up the trash. How was another dramatic um, game. There are so many things in here and it's an older book, but it is such a worthwhile text that if you really want to make 
grammar um, come to life in your classroom, it's, it's really worth checking out this book. Anytime you can get some play in there, right? It's like play and purpose. If you can, mm-hmm. if you can leave in play and purpose, then it's likely that you're going to hit on a little passion about grammar. Absolutely. Stacey, do you have any other books that you want to just give a shout out to? I know you're like inundated with grammar books. My shelf is at school. Uh, yeah. Um, although you have a home office, but I, I don't do. Know. I just have a whole shelf of grammar books at school. I, I will you're say a grammar that nerd. Yeah, we just we know this. I totally am. You know, I my my patterns of power is a favorite. I will also say the power of grammar by Mary Aaronworth and Vicki Vinton is an old one, but mm-hmm. it's brilliant. It's a brilliant one. And I think it's for like fifth through ninth grade. And I remember when I taught fifth grade, I was like, I just make it. And I really like that book. So another great text that I have recommended through the years on two writing teachers is Practical Punctuation by Dan Fagelson. Yeah. You know, I love this book. Mm-hmm. I think I have fangirled um, this book for well over a decade. It's such a smart book. And well, that book gets kids thinking about how they control readers with punctuation. Right. There's that Natalie Babbitt quote in the back of the book where he interviews Natalie Babbitt. And she basically says that punctuation is like the stage direction for writers to use on their readers. And when I read that, gosh, 2008, 2009, I was like, oh, gosh, I could describe it this way to my students. And we talked earlier on about controlling the reader. Well, that was like my first realization for how to actually say it to kids. It's a fantastic book on rulemaking, rule breaking. It's really for elementary school, like K through five. Maybe there's a sixth grade component that, you know, is in here. I don't know. Yeah, I love that book. I will say, you know, when you think about the K through five, a lot of the big punctuation rules or standards exist up until fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And then in sixth grade, it gets more nuanced with the parentheses and the mm-hmm. hyphens and the correct uses of semicolons and colons. And honestly, those are, those are really hard, like even for grammar girl. Mm-hmm. So as I'm thinking about it, I will say shout out um Shout out Gary Peterson, who wrote a blog post years ago with me about how to be funny and use grammar structures for that. And I will Mm -hmm. say you can do a lot teaching kids about parentheses by saying to them, it's almost like a hashtag and they can be funny with them. So that's a way to build some of the awareness, too, of punctuation is bring in that humor. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to also bring more play into the classroom. Mm humor. So again, you've had some great books. You've had some great tips. I hope that there are some things that you can take away from this podcast about bringing awareness and joy and purpose and fun into grammar instruction, because it really can be all that. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. 
Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.